How's it going, Danny? I'm good. How are you, Tyler? Yeah, not too bad. You're back in the studio. Yeah, man. It's good to be back. Neither of us have COVID yet. Nope. Yet being the operative word. <laughs> yeah. No doubt. I mean, Jeez. I don't know if you saw it, but the other part of our podcast network just had yeah. to go get tested. So, Yeah, in a weird sense, it does feel like a, an episode or a movie out of Final Destination where we just keep escaping it. Right. <laughs> oof, oof. We'll see what happens. I have seen promising reports, though. The people who use a lot of THC oh, yeah. experience milder symptoms. I have read that as well, and so keep it up with it. <laughs> let's be safe with this COVID and get in our green hits. I got to get my medicine. <laughs> Sidebar, because I don't think many people have heard this song. Have you heard the song My Medicine from Snoop Dogg? I may have. I'm bad with song title names, so I probably have, but just don't know the title. It's Snoop doing his closest thing to a country song. Oh, probably not. No. <laughs> no, with no, no. Uh, with fucking Everlast. No, I don't think I have <laughs> heard that. That's, Ford. <laughs> that's hilarious. That's awesome. Yeah, anyway, that exists. My medicine. Nice. Let's get to our medicine. Mine's kind of simple because we've brought it up before. It's because you've brought it up before. <laughs> but that Tropicana cookies you've brought me before was so tasty that I went and got oh, some dude. this week. So that's what I brought to you this week with some more Tropicana cookies. We've mentioned it before. It's crossed of uh, GSC and Tangy, and it's fucking delicious. Yes, it is. I've made a, a mention to the people at our dispensary how much we enjoy it, and they thanked us for it, too, so that was really cool. And speaking of that particular dispensary, Greener Pastures, I picked up some J's as well, and the only difference here is I brought WAPA. It's an indica-dominant strain. It's like a 60-40 split. Okay. It's known for having reasonably high THC content levels. This one from our shop clocks in at 29.3%, and this comes straight off their website as opposed to like Leafly or, or other mm -hmm. sites. But their description is, WAPA is a reasonably potent, often introspective and trippy, indica-dominant lounging around on a Saturday afternoon hybrid of top-secret genetic origins. Says the good news about this fruity candy, pine and diesel strain is users feel happy, calm, and able to focus on their surrounding. The bad news is they won't have the ability to actively respond. So <laughs> I don't know how true that is, man. Like, I've been cheaping on that shit all weekend. And I've been pretty responsive unless I'm, like, laying down somewhere. Well, let's hope this doesn't put me out because I'm about <laughs> to fucking spark this shit up. <laughs> Hell yeah. It's going to be great. I'm almost jealous that you're about to spark up the Tropicana uh, cookies, but that's why I've already been chiefing on all weekend myself. So <laughs> Hell yeah. I'm more than excited to try the WAPA, but god damn, that shit I tastes good. I know it, good. man. I'm shit glad that you got it. Good. <laughs> All right, yeah, let's start hitting this shit, and we'll get into the guts and bolts of the color out of space. Guts and bolts. All right, yeah, we're starting in on some of this smoking. This is going down pretty good, too. What did you say it was? Wapa? Wapa. Wapa, okay. Wapa, wapa, flame. <laughs> we're not here to discuss wapa. <laughs> we're here to discuss color out of space. Guts and bolts, who and what went into the movie... Spoiler free, little bit of warnings, credit where credit's due, maybe sell you on it a little bit, depending on who's in it. Start off with spoiler free setup. Meteorite crashes in a farmer's backyard. Shit starts getting weird. Based on an HP Lovecraft short story. There you go. I like it. It's brief to the point, spoiler free. And if you know anything about HP Lovecraft, you'll have an idea of what you're getting yourself into with this film. 
All right. And you've already mentioned we do like to talk about the people who go into making the film and the people in front of the cameras. And this week, our director is Richard Stanley, very interesting film director, writer. He makes short films and documentaries. This gentleman is from South Africa. I think a lot of people probably know him because of his involvement with the island of Dr. Moreau, where he was replaced by director John Frankenheimer. I don't know all the details surrounding his fallout. I know there's documentaries and all that stuff I've about it. I've heard that documentary is really good. So I haven't seen it yet. I keep really wanting to, because I have actually seen the 1996 Island of Dr. Moreau. It's a weird movie. It is. <laughs> it's not a good movie. <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> it doesn't always translate this way, but typically if there's more than a couple of different fingerprints on it, it's going to have some issues. I mean, maybe you'll surprise me because I didn't really look up Richard Stanley's filmography. I don't think I've actually seen any of his flicks, though, other than I saw his appearance in the Yodorowsky's Dune documentary. Nice. Because he's one of the talking heads in that that pops up a lot. And I'm like, oh, this guy, <laughs> it makes so much sense that you are friends with Yodorowsky. And it makes so much sense after listening to him talk that he made this movie. Like, <laughs> Yeah, he's a really interesting gentleman. Like I was mentioning earlier, he is from South Africa. I mean... <laughs> I think it lends its hands to some interesting things. Like, for instance, and I'll, I'll explain why, is when you look at his early films, he did a film entitled Hardware back in 1990. Deals with technology and all that good stuff. But the film Dust Devil from 1992 really gives you that idea of his upbringing, his knowledge of that area of South Africa, because that whole film is about a dust devil that hitchhikes across the countryside in South Africa supernatural being that happens to be a killer as well so it's a very interesting tale it's the only other film i've seen by him so i can speak up for that film i believe shutter put it on their services more recently so mm. for those who are curious i believe it's still on there well i've heard good things about hardware i never saw hardware i don't think i've checked it out either and if i have it was probably at that time where i was too young to remember it anyway whether or not there is actually good things to say about hardware i've heard good things about it so yeah he also did a long-form music video, 1994's Brave. And I did mention he did some short films. He did a couple segments, Preacher Man of Blue Water for Fields of the Nephilim Revelations back in 93, which I believe that's a band, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. He also did a segment in the film The Theater Bazaar from 2011, and that segment is entitled The Mother of Toads. One of the documentaries I did want to mention, it's one I had my eyeballs on, I still do, it's a film entitled The Other World. And for those who are curious, it makes so much sense now why he was on board to do this film in the first place. But The Other World, this is what it's about. It says it's hidden deep in the south of France, practically untouched by the modern age. It's a place many know as The Zone, where a lot of supernatural shit supposedly occurs. So It's kind of like the Bermuda Triangle, but not. Yeah, exactly. Just uh, <laughs> a little bit more dry i suppose because of its <laughs> fucking land or in this case in the pyrenees so it's in the mountains mm -hmm. but yeah this whole thing is about the supernatural his belief in ufos and aliens and all this other really cool stuff that's pretty much what that documentary is about and as a trivia is he and i believe one of his writers maybe another one of his filmographer friends they said a prayer to one of the gods in the whole hp lovecraft mythos oh. In order to do this film, it was kind of their way of trying to get a blessing in order to direct Color Out of Space. So here we are. He seems like the kind of guy that would do that. Yeah, dude. All right. 
So moving forward, we have mentioned that this story, Colorado Space, is based off the short story, The Colorado Space by H.P. Lovecraft. Color with a U because it Lovecraft is, yep. was a notorious Anglophile. As Makes well as sense. Racist, yeah, we've, <laughs> we've mentioned that ad nauseum on here, but it has to be said. Yeah. All right. Richard Stanley did help write this along with Scarlet Amaris, and Scarlet's known for a couple of other films. She helped with the documentary, The Other World. She also helped with the segment, The Mother of Toads, where she helped with the screenplay. She was actually a dialogue editor for the 2018 film Blood Bags. All right, moving forward, we have cinematographer Steve Annis, and some films of note from him are the films I Am Mother. He helped with John Hopkins' Open Eye Signal, and Every Breaking Wave. And this gentleman is known for directing all kinds of music videos for some pretty interesting bands, man. A lot of shit I've actually heard before. If you're curious, like I said, just take a look through some of it. It's pretty cool. I think some people probably know, like Brian Ferry, Florence and the Machine, U2. He's helped also with Lord, her green light video, mm. some of Mick Jagger's video. So, yeah, some pretty cool shit. All right, the music was composed by Colin Stetson, which is a gentleman we've actually talked about before because we talked about him when we reviewed Hereditary, in which we had our friend Justin on. That was episode 109 of the Fried Squirms. But Colin Stetson, really interesting musician. We talked about him a little bit before. Like I said, he's worked with such bands as Arcade Fire, Bon Iver, Bell Orchestra, and XI. He's known for a lot of his saxophone, his clarinet, bass clarinet, French horn flute and cornet work. And he uses like these really cool, like low tones to give you kind of that dreadful, eerie scent. So a little bit reminiscent in here, maybe not so much as hereditary, but right. anyhow, moving forward, we have special effects teams, user T38 for the concept design and visual effects, 13 finger effects for the special makeup and creature effects in Cineset as well. This was produced by Daniel Noah, Jossie Waller, Elijah Wood, and Lisa Whalen. The production companies were Spectrovision, Ace Pictures Entertainment, Bro Cinema, and XYZ Films. Now, he's listed already as a producer anyway, but Spectrovision is partly founded and owned by Elijah Wood. Yeah, it is. Along with, I believe, Daniel Noah and yeah. Josh C. Waller. I think uh, Whalen is the outside producer from... Yeah, dude. ...in, in that, but... <laughs> Our distributor is RLJE Films. They helped with the 2019 United States theatrical release. It had a couple of different release dates. It premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival up in Canada on September 7th, 2019. And here in the States at the Fantastic Festival back on September 20th of 2019. It had an estimated budget of around $6 million. And because it had a limited run in theaters, it grossed a little over a million dollars, like 1.02 so did the roxy show it i think they did i, I wish i would have went and saw it then you know I, i'm almost certain they did but don't take my word for it i have to look it up but yeah man it's definitely one i wanted I to feel catch bad too. that i didn't go see it if they did show it oh, that's okay we can always ask again probably did thinking yeah. about it they probably consider the fucking films we've seen there Richard yeah stanley's first flick in 20 plus 20 years plus years which also, by the way, Richard Stanley has a weird career to be like a name without putting out a feature film in that. Yeah, long. I agree. He left his fingerprints, man. People mm -hmm. know he's an eccentric guy. Fuck. Yeah, we probably missed it. That's okay. Yeah, There'll probably be another time where we can catch it again there. 
when we get to our next section, there's a good reason why I might not have been as excited going into it. And I'll talk about that in the no next doubt. section. But Okay. All right. So with the cast of Color Out of Space, I did mention there's a little known actor. I don't think we've ever talked about him before. I think maybe because of Mandy, that was one that we did see. <laughs> we might have mentioned him in that. But I'm talking about Nicolas Cage. Some people might know him as Nick Coppola. That's right. Yeah, dude. And he plays the role of Nathan Gardner in the film. And not that we have to necessarily get into his filmography because he's got an extensive one. If there's a person alive at this point that doesn't know who Nick Cage is because of one reason or another, <laughs> whether through his legitimate acting or because of his oh, dude. bonkers <laughs> cuckoo crazy shit. Yeah. Like what fucking rock you've been living on. I was going to say, I want to walk back my last statement. We have talked about it because of the Wicker Man. Right. That's yeah. right. So there's one. <laughs> Talking about boo <laughs> cuckoo bonkers fucking crazy. Yeah. And Mandy. There's moments of that. Yep. He's a really good actor, though, too. He really is, dude. And at one time, he was shredded, too. I was going to say, I think one of my favorite films, arguably my favorite film in his filmography, is probably uh, Raising Arizona. Okay. I love that film, man. That's one I grew up watching a lot, too. So they're just I'm a little biased when it comes to that. Ooh, what would I go with? Favorite... Partially because of the nostalgia factor. I've seen this probably four or five times more than any of his other movies, excluding one. Probably actually have to go with Con Air. Nice. Hell yeah. The only other movie of his I've seen more than that, he has only a small role in, and that would be Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Nice, dude. But, I'll tell you another one I really enjoy, too. Interestingly enough, his uncle, Francis Ford Coppola, directed it. He's in it not a whole lot, but he's in it enough, and that's 1983's film Rumblefish. Mm. Yeah, dude, that's actually a really good film. I just recently got a Blu-ray version of it. I haven't watched it yet, but I am really looking forward to it. I know the Criterion, they put out a really good Blu-ray and DVD for that as well. So, yeah, I mean, when you look throughout his catalog, whether it was in the 80s, 90s, 2000s, more recently, he's usually going to bring the thunder. You know, I do really like Gone in 60 Seconds as well. That's a good film. It really is. Anyway, we could be here forever I know it, talking man. about his career. So, All right, so <laughs> we'll definitely talk about him a lot in the next section. But moving forward, we do have Jolie Richardson. It's another actress we've actually talked about before, but she plays a role of Teresa Gardner in the film. We talked about her because we reviewed the film Event Horizon once again with our friend Justin, who was on board. Really cool backstory on how he was introduced to the film, but that was episode 62 of The Squirms. And some other films of note, I mean, we have mentioned her before, but she's got some really cool films underneath her belt. She was in the film, uh, believe it or not, man, 101 Dalmatians back in 1996. Oh, shit. Yeah, she was in the 1987 film Body Contact, which is really cool, too. It was by the director Bernard Rose, who did Candyman. She was also in the films The Patriot back in 2000. Some people might recognize her because she was in 2011's The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, she was also in such things as Vampire Academy. More recently, she was in the films Red Sparrow and In Darkness back in 2018. And this year, she was in the film The Turning. She's been in some other television stuff, I think more notably for playing Queen Catherine Parr in The Tudors back in 2010. She's also in The Rock from 2019. And more recently, she was in The Blacklist. She was also part of Nip Tuck, if you ever watched that show as well. She was a main I actress saw on that. saw a little bit of Nip Tuck, but never enough to be able to place her. But a few episodes here and there, like, if there was nothing else on, I'd be like, okay, cool. Yeah, check this it is, out. This is fine. Nice. 
All right, we have Madeline Arthur. She plays the role of Lavinia Gardner in this. And some films a note for her, she was in 2014's Big Eyes. She was in a string of films entitled To All the Boys of Love Before because she reprises a role in this year's To All the Boys, P.S. I Still Love You, and the upcoming Always and Forever, Laura Jean. So it's like, all right. She was also in a couple of episodes of The Killing back in 2013, actually one episode, The Reckoning, which is a really good television series set in the Pacific Northwest. She was in Legends of Tomorrow as Nora Dark. Oh, she was young Nora Dark. Pretty cool. I was about to say, she's not Nora. No, there was a flashback in that episode. She's young Nora Dark. Older Nora Dark is, oh God, what's her name? Courtney something. It's Brandon Ruth's wife. Oh, cool, dude. Yeah. Nice. I know we've talked about that before. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. Hell yeah. He's a cool actor, man. All right. She was also in The X-Files for two episodes as Sarah Turner in 2018 and five episodes of Snowpiercer from this year. I keep hearing that I have to fucking watch that show because a bunch of different reasons. Based on the movie, which was yeah. a Bong Joon-ho movie. I was just about to say that. I know we've mentioned it before. But like David Diggs is, I think, the main cast in it. And he was the best part of Hamilton. Nice, man. Which is something to be said when it's fucking Hamilton. Like, Yeah, I know that one got a lot of praise. So that's saying a lot. That's and awesome. And now, yeah. It just continues on, man. Killing so. it. Hell yeah. Good for him. All right. We have Brendan Meyer. He plays the role of Benny Gardner in the film. Some things of note from him. He was in 2009's Christmas in Canaan. He was in 2010's Tooth Fairy. I'm sure there's a couple of people who probably heard or seen that one. He was also in a couple of different television series. He was known as Nelson Ort for 15 episodes of Dino Sapien back in 2007. There's going to be a lot of shit in here I've never seen because this is way past my childhood. <laughs> But he was uh, in 16 episodes of Fear the Walking Dead, Flight 462 as Jake Powell back in 2015. I think that might have been a web series. Yeah, that was a web series. Yeah. Let's see. He was in iZombie for a couple of episodes back in 2015 and 2016. Sounds like he was also in Fear the Walking Dead in the episode of Ouroboros as Jake oh, Powell yeah, in 2016. He reprised his role. That's cool. It's pretty cool. And more recently, he's been in the OA. He has a main role in that as Jesse from 2016 through 2019. So see him in this i think that show's decently big like i've yeah. heard of it before and it's not the sort of thing that i would ever watch so like never good know, for him. yeah so. exactly i mean if you can get a recurring television role and a lead role you're doing something decent mm -hmm. all right we have elliot knight plays a role of ward phillips in this some things of note from him he was in sinbad for 12 episodes this is back in 2012 he was also in Law and Order for an episode. This is like a lot of United Kingdom stuff. He is a, a British actor. He was Merlin in Once Upon a Time for six episodes back in 2015. American Gothic back in 2016 where he played the lead role or a main role, Brady Ross. And let's see here, more recently, he's done some video game voice acting work as Kyle Gaz Garrick in the Call of Duty's Modern Warfare, which is actually a playable character, so that's kind of neat. All right, we have a young actor in this, Julian Hilliard. He plays the role of Jack Gardner. Oh, I thought you were joking around and calling Tommy Chong young. Oh, no. <laughs> I thought that's where you were about to go. We got a young actor here, a young guy named Tommy Chong. <laughs> Tommy Hunk Chong. <laughs> no, but 
Julian's known for such things as 2018's The Haunting of Hill House, which is a television series. He was also in this year's Penny Dreadful television series. And he's in the upcoming The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, which is different from the film that we did, which God told me to. <laughs> Some How many conflicting ideas. Is that now? Three or four thousand. <laughs> That first one was fine, but we're going to yeah. have to check out those others because it has to be diminishing returns. Right? I did watch the second one, and it's ah, it's all right. I mean, it's a little bit of kind of what you get with the first one. Don't know anything about the third one. I think this might be the fourth in the series. From the outside looking in, it reminds me of Paranormal Activity. Yeah, good point. You know what I mean? Like all the trailers sort of seem to follow that same vibe. It sort of seems to round off the same way. Yeah. Get a little bit generic the same way, just <laughs> from what they're showing us, not from what's actually yeah, in the movie. Right. I haven't seen them yet. Yeah. But when I watched all those paranormal activities, I wasn't impressed as it went <laughs> on. I have a feeling that's going to be the there same way. There is a point of diminishing return. There's no doubt about it, man. I have a feeling you're probably right. But I'm curious, like, that doesn't I'm mean curious. I'm not going to watch it. I want to check them out. Like, yeah. I mean, we have the perfect opportunity to do it. With Dude, show, it's not so. like we haven't seen worse. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like we're going to intentionally watch worse in the future. Yeah. I'm looking exactly. at you, Veronica. <laughs> oh, yeah. We got plans. All right. Speaking of young, we did talk about Tommy Chong. A gentleman we have talked about before. We did an episode on 420 for Evil Bong. That was episode 157. Man, you talk about an extensive career. If you don't know Tommy Chong, go and watch any of the Cheech and Chong films, any of the records, maybe that 70s show. I can't remember if we talked about this when we brought him up before, but rather than talk about his entire career, what's your favorite Cheech and Chong flick? Oh, dude, that's a good question. I'd say an underrated one, not my favorite, but I think a criminally underrated one is the Corsican Brothers. I was going to, Corsican Brothers is my favorite. I, that movie's fucking, I fucking love Corsican so Brothers. funny. It is so funny. Uh, Corsican Brothers is my favorite. Highly underrated film. Oh, man. I want to say maybe maybe Still Smoking. That's probably one I've seen the most, where they go to Amsterdam. Oh, okay. And they're mistaken for Burt Reynolds and Dolly Parton. <laughs> like, what the <laughs> fuck? Yeah, that movie is hilarious, because they do a lot of, like, dream sequences where they're doing skits. Yeah. I like that one a lot. It's pretty good. This might have just been a joke, because the name is the same. But I can't 100% confirm that my little brother Tyrone wasn't named after the Cheech and Chong character, <laughs> Tyrone Shoelaces from Basketball Jones. Oh, my God, damn. <laughs> Who is starting to hit me? This shit's getting me lit. Oh, yeah. All right. So who do we got after Chong? All right. We have Corianka Kilcher. She plays the role of Arkham Mayor Tuma. And Corianka, she's known for a couple of really interesting things, actually, as far as films and television. So with films... I'll go ahead and move into this. She was in How the Grinch Stole Christmas as a little choir member back in 2000. Now, because of her heritage, because of her background, she was in such things as The New World, where she played Pocahontas back in 2005. She also played Princess K. Iolani in Mark Forby's film of the same name back in 2009. She was in 2013's Running Deer. Some people might have seen her more recently in Dora in The Lost City of Gold where she plays an Inca princess, which I'm not going to try to say because I'll probably fuck up the name. But some television things of note, this is really cool because I'm going to go ahead and, and hit this one because it's more recent. She's in 2020's Yellowstone, which is filmed here in town, uh, which is really cool, as Angela Blue Thunder, where she has a recurring role. And I think you might know her because she was in four episodes of Sons of Anarchy back yeah. in 2010. Yeah, as Carrie Ann Telford. So 
yeah, some really cool shit, man. And last but not least is a gentleman we've already mentioned. He is one of the producers, and that is Josh C. Waller, where he plays Arkham Sheriff Pierce. The only thing of note from him as far as acting roles is he was in Beyond the Break back in 2009, which was a television series. So that pretty much rounds out the cast and crew. You gave us a brief setup. Have to give you some warnings. Warnings. If you don't like magenta... (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of magenta in this. Warnings. Language? There is a language. There's body horror. Body horror. Without getting into the specifics. With some pretty good gore attached I agree, at one dude. point. Yeah. Or maybe two points. There's a couple of decent points, yeah. Children getting injured as part of this. Yep. In a weirdly grotesque way. <laughs> but we're not like... Yeah, we'll it's get not into like, all the It's not like House the Jack built sort of way. It's no, a much no. different animal. And to go along with that, <laughs> I guess a pretty screwed up creature that's sort of geared in with the body horror. Yeah. Without spoiling Maybe it. technically a couple creatures. Like, I could honestly... Yeah, there like, are. I don't, I'm not going to say this isn't a big spoiler. I could see if someone was creeped out by that mantis. Oh, yeah, no doubt. I can totally see that as well. I think it's low down on the scale. But I would understand it no. if somebody told me, like, nope, fuck that thing. There's Burn a, it with fire. There, <laughs> say, there are people who are, you know, afraid of all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I completely get it. I was going to say, if you're familiar with, like, some of Stuart Gordon's films, mm. it's along those lines. Yeah. That's a better way to go. Because I was sort of leaning towards Cronenberg, but it's not quite No, nah, it's not quite Cronenberg. It has elements of it, but I think it's a little bit more akin to some of Gordon's I, films. I think I would agree with that. It's a lot more akin to Gordon. Well, let's stop beating around the fucking bush. What do we do? Strap on our fucking archaic goggles so that we can look at this fucking purple-ass color? <laughs> yeah, man. I guess we're going to have to hydrate. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to take a break for a second, but we're going to come back and tell you how Color Out of Space made us squeal. How does that make you squeal? All right, Color Out of Space. You had actually watched this before, right? Yeah, I watched it just a few months ago. I picked it up, I want to say during the summer, whenever it was dropped on Blu-ray. Okay. Yeah, so I had access to it. Yeah, because this was my first time, whatever it was, just a couple days ago and I watched it. I actually got my first viewing out of the way earlier in the week than I normally do. I was like, I'm finally ready to watch this, I think. Because it's been on like Shudder for a while. I partially put it off because of the show. To be honest, I partially put it off just because, I don't know, I was just kind of weirdly hesitant because I am a big Lovecraft fan. And I totally get it. This is one of the weirder ones to adapt because it's all about indescribable color. And I'd already seen from the fucking preview that this color is very describable as being fucking magenta. <laughs> yeah, I mean, make no mistake about it. And so that was already setting uneasy with me. There's one other little thing that makes me understand Stanley just a little bit more. I think he does a fantastic job in this movie, but Nick Cage is bad casting because you know he's going to go crazy from the get-go. Yeah, there's no doubt when they had him on board, Richard Stanley told Nick Cage that he wanted his acting to be a little bit more close to his work and was it Kiss of the Vampire? Okay. So he wanted to ham it up in certain scenes. And Mm -hmm. so, I mean, we've talked about Mandy briefly already. There's reminiscent things of that in one scene in particular and it makes sense because it's the same guys who produced it as well so they're going to have a little bit of that in it but yeah dude it's interesting to see like i said his vision richard stanley's vision come to light out of this story because you're right it's not an easy story to adapt a film 
And even more so, like, Color Out of Space was actually fresh in my head. A couple months ago, over on the other podcast I do, General Nerdery, we were talking about weird fiction from the pulp era. We talked about a Lovecraft story, a Clark Ashton Smith story, and a Robert E. Howard story. And it was my job to come up with a Lovecraft story, because I fucking love Lovecraft. Read all of his shit, other than his letters. And even those I've read some of. <laughs> Hell yeah. And I actually completely reread Color Out of Space, just trying to decide if that was going to be the story we covered. And then it didn't even end up being the story. So I just ended up rereading Color Out of Space a That's couple okay. months ago anyway. Yeah, so it was nice. already really fresh in my head. And I'm like, fuck, like, all right, let's go in. Let's do this. I fucking dig this movie. Nice. I That's think good to good. hear. Yeah. I think it's in some spots masterfully done. It's just a little bit uneven in some things. I completely I, understand and agree. It, yeah. And I still, as good as he does, I don't like the Nick Cage casting because yeah. it telegraphs what's going to happen too much. Yeah. I mean, you're right. It is kind of on the nose. You know, at this point, what you're going to get out of Nick Cage and some of these roles. And yeah, this is no different in a way. I think Stanley knows that a little bit, though, too. Yeah. I think there's one shot in particular that fucking emphasizes exactly what's going on and what you're to expect from the rest of the movie. And it happens early enough that it might as well be as much of a giveaway as Nick Cage being in the movie. But <laughs> we'll get to it as we start going through the movie bit by Sweet. bit. But honestly, like, I fucking love the guy. But that's one of my biggest problems with this movie. I think it would have been even more effective if you had somebody in there that you didn't know. Right. It would have gave to go crazy. You kind of know what you're going to get with Nick Cage and what to expect out of the film because he's in it, right? You know, something's going to happen and it tips its hat. Let's put it that way. Uh, whereas you're right. If somebody else is in that role, you're not sure what you're going to get. The bigger question with Nick Cage is, is his crazy going to fit into the uh, movie yeah. or is it going to be because or... he's making some sort of weird... Because by the way, I don't think he does just crazy things to do crazy things. Mm -hmm. I've seen enough interviews, listened to enough things that he's talked about with his process. He makes very, very deliberate choices. It's just that the choices he's making are sometimes not in line with what the rest of the movie is doing. Yeah, I, I get it. <laughs> he's basing his shit off of like... 30s German expressionism in a fucking That's 90s like action flick. It's that like sort right. of thing. All right, dude. <laughs> so it's always like, okay, is it going to fit? Yeah. I think it fits. That's the problem. It telegraphs it. Yeah, I, I know what you're saying, dude. Yeah, this is one too. Getting back to first viewings is I did watch it with my sister and Jeff. And I know Jeff really liked it. I think Ashley... She wasn't paying too much attention to it as much as we were, so she needs probably a second watch. Well, I'm really glad I got a second watch because I think I liked it even more my second time through. Oh, I definitely did as well. Sure did. And I think I like. I think it's another one where if I watch it a few more times, I will continue to like it more and more at least a couple more times through before it finally plateaus out. But yeah, there was definitely some things I noticed this time around just because I was <clears throat> watching it by myself, and when we review these films, I tend to pay a little bit more attention to detail. Especially the second time through. Even from the beginning, though, even going into it, the trepidation went away quickly. But not necessarily the opening narration, but the opening scene past that still had me a little bit worried. I do actually want to say something about the opening narration, but I might be able to tie that in later. But actually seeing somebody trying to perform witchcraft in a Lovecraft adaptation was kind of weird. 
because you don't usually actually see magic being done in Lovecraft. Gotcha. You usually come in after it's been done or you find somewhere where somebody had been doing it or has something set up to do it. But never in the process. But never in the process. Gotcha. But it's usually because it's an evil character doing it. I don't think there's anybody trying to work any sort of good magic (laughs) in almost any Lovecraft that I can think of. So it had me worried for a second, but I was like, okay, let's see where this is going, Stanley, because witchcraft does come up, but it's usually not this. That makes sense. And I think, too, I know we've mentioned Arkham several times, Mm -hmm. is it's a location, like being, I guess, not too far from Boston, because, you know, they use Boston a lot, too, mm-hmm. for outside characters. But, you know, with Salem and all that shit, too, that's another kind of interesting way. Oh, well, I do know this about Stanley, too. We already talked. He's all into the supernatural and the occult. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I can see why he would want to include this with this particular character as well. I agree. You know, but you're right. It will make you feel like what's going on. What's the intention here? Yeah, it just felt way too blatant, yeah. especially right from the get-go. Yeah, very but first you find thing out see. that it really has nothing to do with what the rest is going on. No, 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 exactly, exactly. It's just, so we'll get into it, but it's not what you think it is, you know? So the character Word Phillips, he's also our narrator. That. Yeah, <laughs> like that's a How little... Word Yeah, it's like a little that. too much on the nose. But if you don't get it, there you from go. From Providence. Exactly. Has a miskatonic... University. That's right. I saw that too, the Miskatonic U shirt. I was reading that. I think that was the second time in film that somebody wore that, like oh. referencing Miskatonic University. Is the, the other, other one, one Dagon? It is. Yeah, dude. It's really cool. Interestingly enough, the actor's name is Ezra Gooden, mm-hmm. who played the main character in uh, Dagon. And Tommy Chong's character's name is Ezra. <laughs> yeah, well. It's cool. Let's just go into some of the, because I do know a lot of the short stories yeah, stuff, yeah. sort of thing. So the kids are slightly changed. Yeah, I did mostly that the, as well. It's mostly just names are changed. Right. It makes it's, them more updated. Their characters are still kind of aligned, in a sense, with some of the stuff that happens. Right, because, I mean, this is the spoiler section, right? Right, right. We've made that known before. <laughs> so in the story, two kids end up down the well. One kid and the mother end the up attic. in the attic. Yeah. Just not maybe in the same manner in which you get in this film, but it's there. And the father ends up on the main level, although it's in the house, not out on the porch, as it is in this movie. Right. So, I mean, he did a pretty decent job, I think, of tying some of that stuff back to the original story. Right. So that, yeah, that actually all weirdly lines up almost perfectly. One of the kids is gender swapped, Mm -hmm. but not only that, Lavinia is a name taken from a different HPL short story. Yeah, I saw that as well. Color Out of Space... Oh, God, I can't remember what year it was written in, but the year it was written, he was writing this and finishing up an essay, not an actual story. I can't remember which of the essays. I don't believe it was. I've, I've actually got the info here. Oh, do you? Yeah, yeah. So it says that he was writing The Color of Space back in March of 27. At the same time, he uh, was completing the case of Charles Dexter Ward. Oh, right. Yeah, and then you said the essay was on horror fiction, supernatural horror, and literature. So he took almost an entire year off writing between Color Out of Space and his follow-up. His follow-up is the Dunwich Horror, yeah. in which Lavinia Waitley, not Lavinia Gardner, is a big character. Nothing like, uh, what's Meredith, is that her name? What's uh, oh, the, the, the actress? actress uh, Madeline. Madeline. Madeline Arthur, yeah. Madeline. I knew it started with an M and it was longer than normal. <laughs> it's okay. Not anything like portrayed the way she is in that, like 
Lavinia Waitley is like albino and <laughs> almost doesn't have a chin and not very good looking at all. Kind of dumpy. Gotcha. With slight spoilers to the Dunwich Horror, she summons Yogg-Sothoth. I can't remember where she gets the knowledge. I don't know if she actually reads from the Necronomicon. I can't remember for sure. But has a kid with the Elder God. Two kids. As they do. One of them, Wilbur Waitley, is described as being kind of goatish. And he's <laughs> huge. I think, like, to try to, like, blend in and get by, he tends to, like, stoop a lot and shit. But there's a pretty good description of him when he finally dies in the story. And I believe he's, like, nine foot tall. Jesus. Like, his body, once he's killed, also, like, sticks around for a little bit and then just completely dissolves. But he's all, like, super hairy and kind of, like I said, just kind of goatish and shit. Yeah, yeah. But you find out by the end that there is a twin brother who resembles the father more than the mother. Okay. And it's actually an invisible creature the size of a barn that has, like, tentacles and gets around with them, and they're, like, the size of tree trunks, and they're, like, following its fucking tracks and stuff. And the way it's described, we'll only get to see it looking kind of clear, but it's kind of described as looking this way, the same thing that Nick Cage yeah, finds in the shower, except the size of a barn. And I think there is a section in the short story where you see it first, like they do something to interrupt its invisibility for a second. And it's not like all Cronenbergy and oozy and shit. I think it's more like black scaled and shit. But gotcha. there is like a really fucked up, like <laughs> human half face on top and stuff. Like, Ooh. Sorry, buddy. That if you look at it close enough, kind of resembles his brother. So that you get the family resemblance and shit. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah it's fucked up. So that's where Lavinia comes in. Oh, here's the fun thing. So Dunwich Horror immediately followed up Color Out of Space. He used the character name Lavinia from Lavinia Whaley. Lavinia, in the end of this story, kind of willingly goes with the color. Right. She's not finding it at that point. Which kind of matches up with Lavinia Whaley, right? Yeah. This movie is now intended to be the first of an interconnected, loose trilogy based on Lovecraft that Richard Stanley is going to do, I believe, all in conjunction with Spectre Vision. Yeah. The next one's The Dunwich Horror. I was reading about that as well. I was like, <laughs> man, there's a reason why this stuff is in this film as far as names and, like you were saying, some of the imagery and mm -hmm. creatures and what have you. So I like it. I like what they're setting up. If it comes to fruition. Right. I think at least Dunwich Horror will. We'll see if beyond that, because... Man. I still don't think this movie is catching on to be as big of a little bit underground hit as they were hoping for. I agree, and, and I think it's kind of unfortunate, man. It, right? I mean, it, it's only like a year ago, mm -hmm. so, I mean, it's still a little it's bit fresh. It's not time to simmer. Right. But from what I've gathered in my little bit of searches, it's just people don't seem to have a bad opinion of it, but it's not seeming to bubble as right. much as... Some people are looking for is something that really captivates them, like something... And that's what I've read in some of the reviews is like, it's good, but nothing really like significantly stands out for a lot of people. Where, you know, I might have a little differing views on that, but I get it, you know, I can understand it. It's not, like I said, it's not an easy thing to adapt 
Right. But I still think he did a pretty damn decent job of it. I think it's super surprising how much stuff he was able to make line up with a short story. Right. Even just some of the brief things I read about the story, kind of in cliff notes, if you had, mm-hmm. you know, what have you, is it, it does seem like there's a lot of parallels. You know, they might not be exactly the same, but there's enough to where it's like, okay, yeah, yeah, it, it's working. Well, and that's the thing. You can read the story in, I don't know, 45 minutes tops, maybe an hour if you're a slow reader. Like, it's not a long story. Yeah, it's, it's not a short story. It's not super short. Right. There's a little bit to it. And Lovecraft's writing style can be a little bit to get through sometimes. <laughs> especially when you get, like, 15 adjectives in a row. Anyway. <laughs> Life's describing shit. Likes describing shit for things that are indescribable. (laughs) Come on, man. So the fact that that was stretched out to almost a two-hour movie, that was another thing I was worried about. You're taking that little bit of info where if you're going just by, like, pages in a book or, you know, pages of a fucking script is maybe a 20-minute movie. You know, we've talked about that, too. It's like one page Mm -hmm. of script is basically one minute on film. So this being, what, an hour 50, you know? I was a little bit worried about that, too. I think this is a good adaptation. I think not only is it a good adaptation, I don't know if it's an adaptation. I feel like this is a sequel. I feel like this exists in the same universe as the short story, just in modern time. I think that's a good way of looking at it, too. For, I think, some pretty significant reasons on how this film is kind of set up, too. It seems like this land has already been a part of something for a long time. There's Um, always cycles to these things. All right, so fuck it. This is a spoiler section. We'll jump around as much as we want. We know because of the end of the movie that this movie actually takes place maybe like five years prior, ten years prior to modern day. Because modern day is homeboy sitting at the top at the of the dam. constructed dam. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because he's got gray in his beard and what yeah. have you. Yeah. You know so, some time has passed. Maybe 20 years, because he's got yeah. gray in his beard. Like, yeah, he's starting say, to show age, and he looked like a fucking young, young buck in right. the it's, rest yeah, of the Yeah, so you can say 10, 15, 20 years have passed, somewhere in that range. Yeah, so it's set back in actually like 2000, maybe mid-90s, right? Yeah, somewhere in that range. But he said when he first showed up to that place, even before any of these events happened, it's not when he showed up there now and they were talking about what happened in the past— but the locals said that that place was already evil. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's where it, it harkens back to the short story, too. At the end of the short story, the thing that bothered Amy Pierce, the character that tells the story, and who Ward Phillips is literally just Amy Pierce and the narrator in Color Out of Space mashed together. Yeah, that makes sense. What he sees at the end of the short story is that when the color leaves, some of it doesn't have enough energy to follow and sinks back into the well. And so some of it is still there. Some of that alien is still here. So this story is just as easily the colors come back to collect. I mean, there's this, I mean, we see like a certain connection between whatever the fuck that is and where it comes from, perhaps, and what it's doing here on Earth. Yeah, that's pretty cool shit. And that's why it mirrors what happened before, but isn't quite the same. Yeah. I don't think there's any reason why not. I mean, even upon his reflection at the end, you know, he's still troubled. We still know that it's affected the water. We don't know how deep. It's what he kind of alludes Mm -hmm. to. But, you know, it's still in there somewhere. (laughs) 
and I'm not going to drink it. <laughs> I mean, the water is a callback to the fucking, the original short story, because that gets called out a bunch of different times. Like, at a certain point, like, in the movie, the water only turns brackish, but they are not smelling anything, they're not tasting anything. In the short story, at a certain point, like, they're actually taste. they're like, oh, no, fuck this shit. Like, <laughs> yeah. It gets real bad. Thanks. I mean, even looking at the color of that, I don't care if it doesn't have a smell. I'm not drinking that, dude. I'm not drinking that. Nope. The place already being evil makes me think that this doesn't even have to be an adaptation. I, this like, I tend to agree with that. This man. could be considered a sequel. Yeah, I think that's a good point. A modern day sequel. And there are certain signs, too, before any of this really, you know, catastrophic stuff happens, where I think it alludes to that. Right. There's little signs here and there, even a little bit of the color already there before mm-hmm. the meteorite hits. And I was noticing that the second time through on this film. I was like, oh, okay. They're already kind of setting up, alluding to certain things. The color scheme's hidden, but not really. It's there. It's just not as vibrant yet. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, they're doing a pretty good job with this. You know, and of course, once it does hit, then everything becomes Technicolor <laughs> Magenta. Did you read about why Magenta? I actually did a little bit. I'm going to paraphrase because I don't have the info in front of me, but I was reading something about it, the color spectrum with, you know, the color of the rainbows, Roy G. Biv, for those who do know. (laughs) But it doesn't fall anywhere in that spectrum per se. It's like a mix of different colors and saturations and what have you. And I think what they were trying to do with the red and blue spectrum, you know, we've talked about in film too with red signifying evil typically and blue is a calmer color. Not necessarily that it's always good, but it tends to have that kind of, you know, presence in film. And I think that's what they were doing with magenta. It falls somewhere in that spectrum of those colors, red and blue. Well, from what I understand, and this might be wrong, but from what I understand, most pink colors and magenta, I think is technically defined as like the midpoint between the red and the blue. Mm -hmm. Like it's exactly in between them. But most pink colors, and especially in that magenta strip, don't exist. Like most other animals, I don't think would see those Pick colors the same yeah. way that we see them. It's all because of because like of the cones and shit. It's in our because eyes. of the cones and yeah. rods in our eyes and the way that they perceive color. The equal parts red and blue, they can't figure out. <laughs> yeah, so, so like the brain like it. substitutes in this color. That's pretty wild, isn't it? It's like our third eyes opening up this right. shit. It's weird shit, right? <laughs> it is trippy. Like, what I'm pointing at right now, that color doesn't exist. No, I know what you're saying. It's, it's our minds, because it can't decipher that in-between point between the two colors, red mm-hmm. and blue. That's what that is. Which it's makes trippy. shit like how often Stuart Gordon would use it. It makes sense, dude, yeah. yeah. Even cooler, because of how often he did fucking HPL work. He did his homework. He knew. His films From approved beyond, of that. I was going to say, that all film... All over the place. Are these two films are a lot more akin to each other than Reanimator is to this film? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Agreed. Agreed. So that was kind of neat. I will say, learning that made me a lot cooler with them using the magenta and the purples and pinks and shit. I still think, and I hope that we actually cover this movie at some point, but the best way that it's ever been done is there is a version of the color out of space where everything's black and white and then the color is color oh that's cool that's dope which i think is for me is the better way of showing a color that can't be explained yeah i and i see what you're saying yeah because with magenta is something that we 
we, we can explain as, it. Right, right. You and I, humans in general, can explain it. Yeah. Even though it technically it doesn't exist, we can still explain it to right. each other. Yeah, exactly. But, but when you a don't color have, showing up in a black uh, and white right. world. They're like, what the fuck is that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's more profound in that aspect. However, learning what I did about magenta, I think this is a really cool way to go about it. Right. And it fits into the scheme of how this film unfurls. You know, it's in everything. The biggest problem with adapting the story is how are you going to show an undescribable color? Yeah, I know. I know. You have to do it with something. So you that, have to do something. Right. And I think with audiences too, like if you don't give them at least something a try, you know, it's it's better than, I guess, not, you know, showing them nothing. Because we've talked about, I think we talked about that last week, you know, is the true horror or the, the really good horrors is the shit that you don't see. Mm -hmm. Right. But that doesn't always <laughs> translate as well when you put it on film, you know, sometimes you have to show them a little bit of something. Right, right, right. And I think that's the case here. It's like, you know, do we show you something we can't explain, you know, or do we give you something? Or at least do we you continue can... not looking at right. anything except the characters for the entire movie. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. It just cut away from whatever the unknown is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like the use of the color scheme in this, you know, just because it's fucking trippy as shit. Yep. <laughs> yeah. You know, and that's already, that's already a bonus for me. So the alpacas were a weird choice. Yeah. I know that's a lot of people's, you know, I didn't mind it, no, but it's I, a weird choice. I wonder too how that much felt more. like a Nick Cage choice. I feel like that. And I wonder too how much that's a Stanley choice as well, considering his background, you know, I'm like, I could see him putting some shit like that in there. One of these guys was in the, some alpaca stuff going on at that time. What's her name? Koryanka? Like, she didn't grow up there, but she's ethnically like half Peruvian. Yeah, that's what I'm getting at. It's like, uh, I don't know. It's, it's it's an odd choice. Like indigenous Peruvian too. Like Yeah, which you know, exactly. It's not your Spanish. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know what you're saying. No, it's, it is interesting. And there's a lot of comedy surrounding it too. And there's some interesting... Uh, I guess body horror, I guess yeah. if you want to call it that, creature horror. That's a weird thing in this movie, though, <laughs> really man. Is. Alpacas? It was cool. Yeah, I'm like, it, it was an odd choice. I guess it was cool. <laughs> I'm not downplaying them. I'm just, it, it, you're right, it's an odd choice. It's unique. I don't think we've ever seen them in film before like that, let alone well, getting milked. Once they showed up, I was kind of hoping that they were going to give us, like, the alpaca Black Phillip, but... Oh, no, no, damn, that would have been boss. <laughs> <laughs> That'd <be> fucking awesome. <laughs> we would have been sitting here like, oh, we got to get that fucking alpaca on our wall. <laughs> I, I think it just now dawned on me a little bit. I was trying to think of when they do get transformed. Mm -hmm. uh, I was like, man, they, they were playing a little bit on like the heads. I was like, oh, I think I wonder how much this is the Hydra, uh, you know, with yeah. all their heads and shit like that. But, you know, when it comes to Lovecraftian cosmic horror, you're going to get some bizarre shit as is. But alpaca. I'm just going to continue to just sort of skip in. Oh, no, I'm cool with that. Because the fake out with, like, the fake Chekhov goggles was <laughs> kind of good. I liked that they came back. They were, like, obviously set up. Like, look what I found a Grandpa's old shit. Yeah, exactly. Well, you got his compass. <laughs> and then you almost think that later in the movie that they're actually going to do something when he's in the well. Mm -mm. Nah. No, nah, nah, it was a good psych out. There's a couple of decent psych outs, like... I know because we're jumping around, I'll get to it, is in the attic. Okay. After Cage comes out of the barn, all blood splattered. Mm. I'm like, I remembered 
that it happens. I just can't remember exactly where it happened in the film. And that was the psych out because, you know, he tells the kids, he's like, all right, love you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he, and he doesn't. He doesn't, and then it's not until later when he does. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that was the psych out. I was like, and I even think the scene's kind of set up that way, too, where you're kind of anticipating him putting them out of their miseries. Yeah. I mean, I was kind of surprised how much, going through the second time, I realized how much was set up for later in the movie. Yeah, no doubt. The fucking, what is it? That's just life in the sticks line. <laughs> yeah. Completely comes back around. Even before the meteorite hits, which once again, this owes to something maybe already being wrong with the place. Jack is already staring at the well. Yeah. And he's pointed There's... out that dad has said, if you look long enough, you'll see stars down there. Which. Yeah. The first time around, when the color fell back to Earth, it fell back into the well. Yeah, that's right, man. What I like, too, there's even a setup with the alpaca in this film with the water. The water is a running theme, of course, in this film. Mm -hmm. And they're always alluding to it in some manner. And there's a scene where I think it's Nick Cage is, you know, feeding them, taking care of them, whatever, where they're lapping out of a, a bowl or whatever. And I was like, all right. To me, it's like because... What we're saying is that presence has been there in the past it's to some extent. There's still remnants of it, and they're already kind of infecting themselves, and they don't even realize it. Mm -hmm. It just might be very minute at this point, but it's going to get ramped up. I just now put this... This is going to sound fucking dumb, because I'm sure a lot of other That's people right, put this together already, but I just now put this together that... Because everything gets super ramped up when the meteorite hits. Oh, no doubt. Tenfold. That's why it was so hard for benny to water the alpacas because like g-spot they were attuned to it and started sort of going off shit as soon as that happened yeah it's interesting man it's <laughs> i think that's why it's clever watching these films more than once especially when you're tackling a topic like this mm -hmm. because of little stuff like that which opens up other stuff you know later on now, the other big thing that I didn't quite realize the first time through, but the second time through, it stood out like a fucking sore thumb. Nick Cage going crazy later is just him lapsing into acting the same way he does when he impersonates his father mm -hmm. with his wife when he's fucking joking around with her and shit, which that scene was all actually really cute and shit. Yeah. Now, they that have good moments together. They have good moments together. And I was like, oh, shit. Relapsing into family degeneracy mm -hmm. is very Lovecraftian. It certainly is. When you're going crazy, if you uh, lapse into something that was bad about your ancestors, that's super fucking Lovecraft. You know what's interesting, too? I, I wonder, oh, man, it's alluded because we do know in this film, and it's even said that that was his father's property, so he mm -hmm. grew up there and whatnot. So well, it makes and his you, grandfather. That's what I was gonna say. Finding his shit there. I was gonna say, how far back does it go in his family tree, that property? Mm -hmm. And like they said, the shit that we've said, there's there's a cycle to it too. There's remnants of this shit. Who knows how long it's been here? Yeah, I think that's kind of cool. Yeah, that's why I'm saying I think this is just. I don't think this is an adaptation. I think it's a sequel. Man, the more we talk about it out loud, the more it makes sense. You know, I think that's a really good way of looking at this film. Even though, yeah, it's taken from the source material, but it's not the exact same thing. It's set in different time periods. It's an, an extenuation of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a sequel to it. Man, yeah, dope. I like that. All right, so given what we do, especially as we're sitting here, whenever this comes up in movies, we always judge it a little bit. 
So how realistic did you feel was kids getting stoned and just watching black hole YouTube videos? Oh, man. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That stood out to me for a second, but then I did notice that the rest of the shit on his walls were like space related. And I'm like, okay, I think I can get that. Like, yeah. I'm into music, so I'll get stoned and go on fucking oh, man. YouTube music binges. So I guess if I was into space, yeah. maybe I would do what this kid is doing. He, but it stood out to me for a second because it almost felt a little bit more like cliched out there. Uh, yeah. Like There is a line I think he says to Lavinia somewhere in the film where he's talking about black holes and he's starting to connect certain things because that was, I think what he, maybe he was looking at on his computer mm-hmm. that night, he was looking at black hole stuff. Yeah, and he talks about that, too. He's like, this is kind of like the black hole where, you know, you're kind of getting ripped apart and things disappear and time lapses and all this other stuff. So, I mean, even a little bit of dialogue to let you know he's somewhat of a space nerd. That actually ties into a couple of the things that I almost wish they just would have left out. Mm -hmm. Because a couple of the things he brings up like that just sort of take me out of it for a second. Yeah. Because he'll be like, oh, man, time must be being stretched, too. Because how long has it been since dad left to go start the car but there's been no good visual representation no, no, not for of, us as an audience yeah we have no idea of what kind of time's passed for them inside or right. the time that's passed I, out there and we still don't get any good representation of it because then nick cage just shows back up in like 10 more yeah seconds. i'd say in that particular sense yeah that was unnecessary because they've already shown us how time lapses with lavinia when she's doing the dishes mm-hmm you know, they're showing you what time it was when she's doing it. And then you get the flash and then it cues back to the clock on the wall. And you see, I wrote down like almost five and a half hours have lapsed, mm-hmm. you know. So that already alone, you don't need any more context. That lets you know if something fuckies up with time. <laughs> but in the case where he said it, like there was no. No, no, there was no indication at all. And I feel like there's one or two other time things similar to that happen with him. Mm-hmm. But I didn't write them down. That was the one that... Yeah, no, I think you're right. Like, we didn't need that. It was not necessary. And yeah, in the context, too, in the film, it's like, we didn't get a a really good representation of it either, where it made sense. And it doesn't seem to matter in No, it doesn't. (laughs) Not at this point. We already get it, dude. We know shit's awry. Come on, dude. Yeah. (laughs) You're late. (laughs) It looks like Dr. Seuss outside, son. (laughs) Right? It's like, man, look, we're stoners, but we get it. (laughs) We got a lot faster than you did, kid. When the meteorite hits and it's the big storm and everything goes on and everyone has their own little like weird moment with it happening, Mm -hmm. the weird establishing shot for me of the movie that was like, it's how early Stanley tips his hat to what's about to go on, which is why I'm still kind of okay with Nick Cage's casting, is immediately our shot of Jack is the fucking shining down the hallway shot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, without a doubt. <laughs> There's, I think there are even two, maybe, playing a little bit on, like, close encounters of the third kind mm. and stuff like that with the over-the-shoulder shot lights and stuff like that, you know? Let you know there's some kind of alien presence here. But that was so blatant. I oh, was yeah, like, yeah. oh, so <laughs> a presence is about to start disturbing them, and we're not going to see it happen. We're just going to see them start to go crazy. Right. I understand all of that just from you doing this right now. Right, right, right. We didn't need all the other. I mean, I mean it was I cool, but don't get anyway, it. But yeah. I've read the story. I know, <laughs> I know the fucking story. But yeah. yeah. It makes you wonder, too, because, you know, maybe not all audiences catch on to that kind of shit. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So, yeah, they have to throw in a little extra just so you do get it. Where I think you and I were like, ah, it's not necessary. 
Oh, I got a question for you since yeah, we're thinking yeah. about stuff. Do you have a favorite quote or a line in this film? Because there are some decent ones. Dude, oh, like any of the times Nick Cage is yelling about the alpacas. <laughs> I think in the beginning, too, where he's like, he's like, you guys don't realize how much it cost to the family. They're alpacas. Alpacas. Yeah, that was that was one of my favorite. Oh, <laughs> uh, I searched for like 15 minutes to try to see if there was a fucking that gift of that to fucking send you when I was watching it. <laughs> if we're talking mm. quotes and we don't care because this is the spoiler section anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. All of Tommy Chong's recording, dude, that was fucking great. That was awesome. That was fucking brilliant. It that was. was so good. I mean, he already let you know that, he, <laughs> you know, he's an electrician. He's got shit wired up. He's already hearing stuff. He already knows things. And even told Ward, he's like, man, I can hear them. <laughs> you know? And then everything that he says when Ward goes back later, it pretty much vindicates everything that's already happened, everything he's already said. And I like the sort of, like, breaking the mold where you have this weird, off-the-grid, conspiracy theorist motherfucker, but instead of just him being the butt of the joke... He's 100% right. Yeah. And not only is he 100% right, it's not something that you realize in hindsight. He's like from the get-go, he's like, I already know who you are. I know yeah. what you're doing. You want some Java? Yeah. He's like, you're a hydrologist, right? <laughs> yeah. How do you know? He did. He said, we're travelers around here. And he's like, I might be out there, but he's I'm good at what I do. Yeah. He's in the know, dude. That's all you need to know. I was going to say, too, I thought it was an interesting choice, and it makes a lot of sense, especially with Tommy Chong when Ward does find him at the end and the tape is playing and what have you, is they chose to have the light in his third eye mm. mm-hmm. you know, come out of the third eye because he was woke. <laughs> you know, you want to put it in that context. But that was a pretty cool choice to do that. Well, and the way it started to almost like open up at first yeah. as it started to like disintegrate and then eventually he blew up, obviously. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> it reminded me once of From Beyond. No doubt. Uh, the stock about to pop out. That's it. I think that's a really cool thing because it is hearkening back to those stories and previous works that we've done too. So that's cool. Fuck. What's the part where Ward is sitting in his rig reading and there's the shit going on outside and he goes to investigate it with his flashlight? That was really good. I want to say that might have been a little bit later on after he had that initial meeting because I think he was testing the water at that time. Oh, that's right. Okay. And it started turning magenta. Yeah. And then... I think he was listening to the radio. It started cutting out. And then he started hearing noises and shit. And then the, the Jeep or whatever turned on. Yeah, and then all that other stuff transpired. First off, he's reading The Willows by Algernon Blackwood, which was one of H.P. Lovecraft's favorite stories. That's awesome. When he gets up and he's checking shit out with his flashlight, that should be the blueprint going forward. Like, the effects that they were using on the edge of the light to, like, sort of blur things but it wasn't always just a blur sometimes it looked kind of like smoke but it was like smoke in like the shape of something but then it would blur and you wouldn't see it and stuff yeah that should be the blueprint and there'd be like little flashes of color through it i I do like that that's how you should show lovecraftian monsters moving forward or most lovecraftian monsters because most lovecraftian monsters the way that they're described is kind of that because your eyes are not only seeing what you can see, but you're catching just the flickers of the parts of them that are moving in and out of the dimension and of the range of your human senses. That's pretty awesome. I was going to say that makes a lot of sense. It 
reminds me once again of beyond and things of that nature. It trans, or I won't say transcends, but it, it does. It's interdimensional as well. Yeah. Like beings like Cthulhu being, you know, the most famous Lovecraftian invention, that big squiddy Cthulhu looking thing that we all identify as being Cthulhu. That's just the part of him that we can see in our dimension. Right. Exactly. He exists in multiple dimensions all at once. <laughs> Got him. <laughs> that's just, yeah, that's just like one mask, one layer of the onion. So an effect like that all around a Lovecraftian monster, I think is spot on for the perfect way to show that's a good point. it's not all here. Yeah. You're just seeing a glimpse of it mm -hmm. and whatever spectral vision you have. <laughs> And some of it isn't even necessarily in a different dimension. Some of it, as you know, according to the writings, is literally just existing outside of the range of our senses. That's pretty wild. Yeah. Which I think at that time, too, because a lot of these guys were probably, you know, dealing with the esoteric and mysticism and things mm -hmm. like that. Where, yeah, they're, I mean, their minds were like, we've got a whole playground to play in, man, <laughs> you know? That's the whole thing behind, like, Cthulhu lies dead but dreaming. It's, we don't have any way of describing the state of hibernation that Cthulhu is in beyond death. Yeah. To our To our cognition. senses, to yeah. our cognition, the only way to describe the way he is lying in our dimension is It's like dead. death to us. <laughs> yeah. But he's laying there dreaming. Yeah, that's a terrifying thought. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, ooh, yeah, you don't want to wake that beast. Yeah. It's weird. That's why That's I like awesome. cosmic horror stuff because it's so weird to think yeah. about. Yeah, and they're the... just, I will say this too. I know we've mentioned it a couple of different times, but I think the latest rash of cinematographers and directors and writers, they're doing a pretty damn decent job of it, man. Mm -hmm. And I and wonder too how much some of our technology has to do with it. But even some of the practical stuff's not bad either. Like The Void does a pretty decent job with mm -hmm. cosmic horror using practical effects. Yeah, there's some stuff in here that uses digital, but... I think even some of the practical shit looks good, too. Yeah. You know? It's like, man, they're doing a good job with that. But however they did that effect... No, I think that's a good way of doing it. I that. think that's the that should be the blueprint moving forward. It probably won't be. Hey, but... I think that should be the blueprint moving hey, forward. Hey, if you're listening... <laughs> I think it was spot on for what you're trying to convey. Yeah, dude. And that's another one of those things in my notes where I was writing. It's like, there's already early signs of some weird stuff happening before the meteorite even hit. So that's, I know, one of those things I think ties back to what you're saying is, you know, this is not an adaptation. This is probably a sequel. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I guess I'd mix in that effect that's being used in that scene right before. I kind of don't like where it goes to because it kind of just goes to really blurry all around. But right before Ward confronts Nick Cage for the last time and the way they're doing like the blurring and smear effect there. Yeah. That was also like, yeah, take notes from that because that's a good way of showing what's supposed to be happening as according to the short story yeah. on film. Nice, man. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I was going to say with a couple of quotes. And this is kind of paraphrasing it, too. It's like two lines from what Ward is being told to by Ezra, and Ezra is explaining to him. First, he shows up to warn her, Ward, that is, Lavinia, about the water because he's already had it tested. And this is where she's, like, coming out of that time lapse, and she's kind of feeling sick and what have you. And then, then he takes a trip down to Ezra's, and that's when Ezra's told him, he's like, can you hear them? Can you hear it? Mm -hmm. You know, but uh, he was telling them, and this, this was setting up the whole entire thing. He's like, it's not out there. It's in here. 
And I was like, oh, he's telling him, dude. He knew all along mm-hmm. what's going on. He's trying to warn him. You know, I was like, okay, I like that, dude. You're right. He's not just a kooky character. Right. I think maybe a couple things happen in between, but my next note is the fucking finger chopping scene is another one of those ones that is just masterfully done suspense rather than the stupid rely on jump scare shit. I mean, even though you're anticipating it, right? It is more suspenseful. Because you're sitting there, you know what's going to happen. Oh, yeah. The whole fucking time. You know what's going to happen for all fucking 20 seconds or whatever that scene takes. It's a good build But for the last 13 seconds of that, you're yelling at screen, no, don't. Stop it. Stop it. Stop (laughs) it. She's getting so fucking close. And she's not paying attention. And just pop, 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 pop. And then the kid, you're like, oh, fuck. Well, and that's what I thought was almost masterful was the kid almost introduces a twist to that scene. Cause you're like, is it going to be the kid's fault? Mm. Because it happens when he tugs on her right. elbow. Right. And so you have that split second of, Oh no, he's the one that caused it. But then you keep hearing the sound of her chopping and it sinks in like, Oh, she is gone. Yep. It's happened. It's, it's not happening. It's already happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, which I like, man. Even the color on her router at the beginning of the film, or not the color, but the signal is not strong. And it's already played up with the stuff with war, that there's electromagnetic interference in the area. Mm-hmm. I think Nick Cage even mentions it too. You get with the phone calls. To me, that was like an early sign already. There was some kind of interference there. To me, that was one of the, I thought was a cool change. The effects of the color in the short story are the story plays out over the course of like a year, year and a half. It's yeah, not yeah, like right. a month or, I mean, this makes it seem like a couple days, but I think it has to have been at least a little bit longer than that. I tend to agree with that. There's not a lot of time has lapsed, but there's more than just a few days, I would imagine. Right. I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm not sure where the time jump is, but I do feel like this movie takes place more than just like the, day and a half that it makes it seem like on the outside yeah i think too when you look at maybe some of the gar well it's like, yeah so like the tomato and peach scene and all that stuff mm-hmm. sometime has elapsed it's not like that shit happened overnight right the story is like a year so at first it makes all the vegetation and like they're farmers because it's way back in the day it's like 1860s exactly. or something grow all big but it's all inedible, which we get with the tomatoes and shit later. Yeah, slam dunk. And they all start sort of being a little bit weird colors. There's not any good descriptions, but some weird things start happening with some of the animals in the area. But it's mostly that people start seeing weird footprints left behind. But then after they get all big and colorful, which is basically the only point we get to in this movie, they start growing brittle and gray and just sort of dead and lifeless looking. And... The like the trees and stuff, every once in a while, they'll start looking like they're swaying in the wind, but no wind's going. Yeah. Yeah. Like they're alive. Mm-hmm. They're still, yeah, I know what you're saying there. But it's otherwise weird. they're like brittle and gray huh. and plants, I don't think start disintegrating. Maybe a few of them do, but other living things like the livestock and stuff, rather than what we get in this movie with the sort of the combined body horror yeah, there was. stuff. There was. 
the fusion type stuff that we get. It's body horror in the sense that this disease is causing them to go gray, and then parts of them will just like suck in or mm. compress or just completely disintegrate. Yeah, damn. That's <laughs> fucked, isn't it? I know what you're saying. There's body hordes. Some of that is mutation and what have you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. It's you, not the mutation kind. It's more just like they're right, it's like, almost like turning to ash before your yeah, eyes. I know you're saying. It's like it's, some of it's dead and themselves yeah, doing it. And, it's being consumed, although it's still alive and it's mm -hmm. fucked. <laughs> and then like the wife, it drives mad. One of the kids, it drives mad. Everybody, it eventually drives mad, but in different ways. And Yeah, the yeah, senses yeah. are affected differently. The Makes difference is, is in this, we only get to the color stage. We don't get the drain out shit. Exactly. If we did, it'd probably take a long, it's maybe like three, four hours long. Until it becomes the blasted heath at the right, end. At the end, exactly. But yeah, as far as it, the playing out over the course of a lot more time. But yeah, even that was really cool. I, all right. It made me wonder too, a little bit, because this is H.P. Lovecraft. Oh, sorry. No, Real okay. quick though. Yeah. I was going to say, instead of taking all the time to have all the vegetation eventually turn and like the slow going of over a year of them slowly like cutting themselves off from the rest of the world and shit. Just show how powerful the thing is and have it fucking fuck with the electronics too was I thought a great way to adapt it for like a movie. Yeah. Instead of like a long weird character study series that technically adapting the deterioration faithfully would be either that or you'd have to be really good at montages <laughs> yeah. really fucking good at montages well, last week we got some good montages yeah <laughs> just i thought the static was a good substitute for gray if that yeah. makes sense yeah, yeah, yeah good point because that's usually associated with static mm -hmm. visually for us but all i was going to say is with knowing the source material, knowing the writer of the source material, and having the character Ward Phillips in this, right, also happened to be a uh, black actor as well, is that at the end, everything is whitewashed, you know, and he's coming mm -hmm. out of the pile. And I wonder, too, how much, a little bit, if that was like a, a social commentary on the understanding of, <laughs> you know, that shit in his stories. So I thought that was kind of clever. You know, I mm -hmm. thought that was an interesting take, a way of doing that. I mentioned it before, but the praying mantis is cool. It really was. There was even a, a little early scene that you see of a lizard by the well. It already has a little bit of that stripe. So that lizard by the well, and it already has the stripe, that plays into something that Stanley sort of did throughout the movie. And it was between some of these scenes and kind of between almost like the act breaks, if you broke this down into being maybe like a five-act structure or something, he would have these little pull-aways showing like some of the landscape around the house and they subtly changed every time and what happens is it gets shorter as it goes on and like the first one doesn't show like any wildlife at all if i remember right it's just like flowers yeah. and like house yeah. and shit and then it incorporates some wildlife and then you see not super changed, but not necessarily pretty wildlife. And then, like, the next one after that is, like, a mutation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even right there at the mm -hmm. end where Ward's coming out. I guess he's coming out of, like, one of the offices, mm -hmm. you know, whatever, in Arkham. And the sheriff and a hunter happen to stop him. Like, hey, you need to check this shit out, man. It's like, we found this, right? He found this right near the Gardner property. And it is a fusion of all these other animals. And it's like, it looked like it was trying to 
escape or <laughs> like oh fuck me man yeah that's just fucked up but i think that's another you know way of incorporating that it's like you don't see a whole lot of wildlife if at all in this film but there's reasons for that you know and this is another example of that and the things that are there you do get to see what happens to them so yeah animals aren't dumb you had mentioned lavinia's time skip moment before mm -hmm. the other cool thing about that was just leading into it just like the weird psychological horror of now I have to clean my mom's blood off of this. Knife. Yeah, she's like, don't puke. <laughs> she's and they have the sound design, the clock slowing down yep. behind. The clock is slowing down behind her, but then we find out five hours has passed. Yeah, dude. I think there's even some things they're using in there too. It's like a rhythm. It almost to me, it felt like a heartbeat or mm -hmm. like she was syncopating with that stuff. You know, she doesn't realize it, of course. Well, I mean, with the heartbeat would make sense because then you have the blood. Yeah, exactly. So that's... Which really I thought cool was kind of like things. an it call out almost a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Speaking of it and some other fucking movies with the attic scene and her being up there with mom <laughs> and Jack. Like, oh, fuck I didn't that. think that shit was going to happen. <laughs> like, nope. That part in the short story is kind of neat when they find mom. She's not fused with Jack. Jack no, no, I, I saw they were like Yeah, they're in separated, separate rooms yeah. and shit. He won't describe her. He <laughs> alludes to the fact that like when we went into the room, the thing was moving. <laughs> I won't describe it. The illness had definitely been upon her. And this being will no longer <laughs> appear as a moving creature for the rest of this story. I will not say what, you know, the guy did in there, but it would have been a sin not to put it out of its misery. Jesus Christ. Could you imagine that? <laughs> yeah. Had to do what we had to That's do. That's one dude. of the cooler little passages. Like, it's actually like two or three paragraphs awesome. of, just, of him literally just saying, I'm not going to describe it. No, you can't make me describe no. it. But it was something so ungodly that it would have been a sin yeah. not to <sighs> make it unmoving by the end of the story. Yeah, you have to immobilize that fucking thing. <laughs> Whatever that is. Oh, man, I will say that, too. I do kind of like that scene a little bit where, if I'm not mistaken, it is as the parents are coming home after, you know, the mom chops her fucking fingers off and whatnot, mm -hmm. and they find, or they run into G-Spot, yeah, on the road. <laughs> and when they do come back, because Jack's been out in the fucking yard all day long, no one's giving a shit about Jack the entire fucking time, mm -hmm. you know, and the parents pull up and all that stuff happens. But then, because they hear the noises from outside, Benny... The older brother and Jack, they go out there, and I think they're also looking for Sam at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they find out what's going on with the alpaca, and they dip out, and mom is worried about Jack, and then the color's starting to come out of the fucking alpaca and Sam fusion. When it hits the mom and the kid, I was like, <laughs> ooh, that was fucking good, because then <laughs> they don't immediately show you what it looks like. They're like, we just need to get this in the yeah. house. And then when you do see it, like, <laughs> oh, shit. He held it out just long enough for me to wonder if he was going to show at all. Exactly. I mean, yeah. Upon and first then time Lavinia through, yeah. comes in after. We'll get into what Lavinia uh, yeah, was doing yeah, here yeah. in a second. But then Lavinia comes in and we see from her point of view and we're like, yeah. oh, okay, that's fucking good. <laughs> and then it gets even more fucked up later. Yeah, I do. <laughs> but I was curious because we kind of call these out sometimes. Did you consider the G-Spot jump scare cheap or not? A little bit. It yeah. was on the edge, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. But 
I think too, it, it harkens back to like, okay, this is what happened to it at least. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was a literally scare, the but... scene before was back with Ezra and shit. And they were mentioned like, Hey, where's G spot. So they kind of set up that he could show up somewhere. Right. I mean, I grew up in deer country. I should be <laughs> looking for animals jumping in the middle of the road anyway. That happens, dude. A lot. So it wasn't entirely cheap, but... But I know you're saying, I think for, in this case, a little bit, a little bit. A little bit. But I think, too, maybe it, it drives home the point to them as well that shit is fucked up. <laughs> you know? It's just like, hey, man. Not that they can do you can't anything. can't explain that. I think they're already fucked at that point. Though. Oh, no There's, doubt. I mean, it's, it's already out. It's already fucked them over. It's just bringing them back. Yeah. That's all it's doing. I think that gets to the one other thing that bugs me about this version of this story is the color seems more malevolent in this one. In the short story, and once again, most of Lovecraft's cosmic creatures aren't evil. Right. I know we've mentioned that before. It's more like a consequence of their presence. That's it, man. You're fucked. This is just their existence. Right. And, you know, you're the unfortunate ant on the sidewalk as they're walking down the street. Precisely. And that's the one other thing was, especially as you get further into the end of this movie, the color kind of seems like it's actually actively fucking with them a little. I was going to say, it does feel more malevolent in this film. And it didn't get to the point where it really bugged me, but it did stand out for being Lovecraft. Good point. I mean, I realize it's Stanley, but it's color out of space. (laughs) Exactly. It's like, you can't deviate a whole bunch. Yeah, there's going to be a little bit because it's, you know, this vision, but that's kind of breaking away from it. Right. Wasn't quite to the point where it really broke me, though. No, no, no. I will say this. It reminded me that little bit with the house and, Mm -hmm. you know, the stuff coming from space. It reminded me. again? Well, it reminded me a little bit of Housewife. Mm-hmm. The ending of that film, oh, I mean, spoilers for those who haven't seen it. There's a lot of shit that you're missing, though, leading up to that, too. But it paralleled a little bit because we do know that Jean, you know, likes messing with cosmic horror as is. Mm-hmm. I was like, ah, oh, it reminded me of that a little bit. I was thinking with the way the colors backlighting and coming out of the house, I was there. just the silhouette ends up looking kind of like the UFO. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. That's what it reminded me early on. Because mm-hmm. you do see just the orb. It looks like an orbish light slowly moving through the yard. Yeah. I was like, that's kind of cool, man. I like that. So there was a really fucking, really, really fucking nerdy reference in this. Okay, yeah, yeah. And then I'll back it back up to Lavinia. Yeah, I know there's a bigger story. To, yeah. But I was just looking at my notes real quick, and I almost forgot about this. When Lavinia and Ben are trying to get out, and they get the white horse named Comet. Yeah. Comet, the super horse, was a white horse in DC Comics. That's the horse of Supergirl. Oh, dude, that's awesome. Yeah, Yeah, I see what you're saying. Is that one isn't there? That's awesome, then, man. I was like, what? Okay, okay. Anyway, in front of me here. Yeah, dude. Apparently, according to this movie, I have something that might just hasten my fucking getting took over by the color if I perform the wrong spell. Because first (laughs) off, I think her heart's in the right place. This movie sort of set up the fact that Lavinia doesn't know what she's doing when it comes to spellcraft. Mm-mm, mm-mm. She's just out there. She's trying. She's, she's learning. Right, but it's something you don't be fucking with, man. And she pulls out, in order to combat what's going on with her mom and Jake, a very special book to Lovecraft fans. Yeah. But a very specific <laughs> one. What I have in my hands right now is known as the Simon Necronomicon. The same printing that she has. That's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, as soon as I saw it, it's like, yeah, Tyler's going to be all over that. 
This is a really interesting book. This is a really interesting, just a giant piece of bullshit. But <laughs> in the okay. same way that all magical grip, have we gotten a chance to talk about this in any of the other Lovecraft stories? Uh, that we've Man, very briefly. I don't think it's just because of the context of uh, being in the H.P. Lovecraft universe. So I'll try not to make this take too long. But with okay. it coming up directly in this movie... And the fact that I have read this multiple times, and whenever I need a good laugh, I kind of just crack it open. (laughs) The Simon Necronomicon is called the Simon Necronomicon because it was made by an unnamed author. I think there's some theories that it was just the publicist. Oh, that's kind of neat. Dropped it off as it, like, put it together and and dropped it off at his own publishing house. (laughs) But it's purported to be by a guy, well... Put together by a guy who I identify himself only as Simon, and it's his collected writings of the Mad Arab, because the Necronomicon is supposed to be written by the Mad Arab, Abdullah Hazred. So there's like an 80-page intro that's done by Simon, who's sort of explaining how he came into... The possession of? To possession of it and all that. Once you get into it, there's a little bit more of a framing story that's supposed to be the Mad Arab's writings as he's putting it mm, together. Gotcha. And beyond that, it is a hodgepodge of, in some cases, I believe plagiarized, <laughs> but it's a hodgepodge of legit, big air quotes, legit magical grimoires. And Babylonian, Assyrian, Sumerian, and Chaldean myths with some of the characters replaced with Cthulhu mythos characters' gotcha. names. Okay, okay. They're just substituting gods. And or... it sort of purports in some sections and finds ways to very loosely bridge the gap between Babylonian, Assyrian, Chaldean myths, the Cthulhu mythos, and some of the writings of Aleister Crowley. Mm. Wow. The wickedest man alive when <laughs> yeah. he was alive. For those, Famed occultist. I was going to say, for those who like conspiracy theories, man, I, I've seen one with Victor Crowley possibly being the father of a former first lady mm. in the Bush family. I was like, wow, man, that shit gets deep. <laughs> so, like, legitimately, if you've ever read, like, any, like, Babylonian or Sumerian mythology, there's a good chance you'll find at least one of the stories you've read in here. Ah, that's funny. Except with, like, one of the deities just switched with, like, Cthulhu. Gotcha. So, But um, then there's also, like, incantations and seals for demonology. And there's a few different critics of grimoires and such that have commented on the fact that when you study this book and like it has a bibliography and if you check in on some of the bibliography of where the references are they're not just references like some of the references parts of this book were just legit plagiarized from wow yeah but the way it's put together even though it's done in a later era is almost the exact same way that some of the better known legit grimoires were put together and so it's actually no less legit than something like the lesser key of solomon gotcha yeah because like you were saying it's still a a mix of it's done in the exact same way from some of the same sources even so it in its own way is no less legit than some of those other things but it's known as being 
this bullshit. It's not the Necronomicon because the Necronomicon never existed. It is the Simon Necronomicon. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's kind of funny, man. It's like you can't you can't take any of it serious. Mm-hmm. Not even what it's supposed to be basing itself upon. But like, I mean, just like pop that open a little bit. You'll see exactly what I mean. There's all sorts of just like oh. magical keys and yeah. <laughs> yeah, one of the first things I wrote, just flipping through it. Yeah, exactly. Basically, if you run like a D&D campaign, you should buy this because you could have all sorts of shit that you can Holy like fuck. work can into you your shit. Yeah. Fuck. You'd have a campaign going for no who knows how long. If you're a fucking DM, buy the fucking Simon Necronomicon. Oh, yeah, you'd have a field day with this guy. And the best thing I think about this Simon Necronomicon is I got it at work. That's awesome. Back when we used to do a white elephant during our Christmas meetings. No shit. Do you, do you <laughs> know who it came from, from? I know who I fucking stole it from. <laughs> Hell yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, you fucked up. <laughs> or I don't know who brought it, but Damn, that's I dope, know that man. I took it from Sonia. <laughs> oh, hey, yeah, nice, man. Dude. Oh, man, I wonder if I was a part of that. Because I think I might vaguely remember that. <laughs> That's awesome. Hell yeah. So. Shout out. Short history of the Simon Necronomicon that shows up in this movie that Lavinia casts a fucking spell from trying to do something. Right. And it seemed like she was trying to do something benevolent and it backfired. Because she even said it earlier in the film too, right? With her brother. The first thing she was doing out there, very similar, except for when War talked to her. He was like, oh, is that Wiccan? He's just like, what, you, what? How do you know? He's like, yeah, it's definitely Alexandrian. So you know it wasn't malevolent or a mm-hmm. curse, as she was telling her brother. She's like, I know better than that because it comes back threefold. So it makes you wonder if she was doing because there's blood involved. There's a blood mm-hmm. ritual involved. It's like, oh, this is a lot more wicked. And not in her case, there's not evil intent, but what she's drawing from. I mean, the carving above her heart? Yeah, dude, come on. Yeah. Right on the cover. Even... Like, I mean, it, it's not the same thing, but they're already showing, like, she likes to mark herself early mm-hmm. on in the film and shit like that, too. So, you know, I like, too, how the film has her hairpin or whatever. It matches the window frame in the attic as well. So, you know, there's, like, some symbology in this film, too. Once again, because it's got, like, occultism and esotericism and all this other stuff, you're going to see it pop up. Like I said, overall, this movie, I think, provides blueprints for the way things should be done going on, but there are some weak points to it. I wish both of the kids' descents into madness were a little bit more gradual. Yeah. And almost like hers almost seems to flip-flop back and forth. Mm -hmm. Like, she's influenced enough to do this, but then for a few scenes (laughs) after she does the ritual and the carvings on herself and stuff, she's the sane one for a bit. You're right, there is a lot. And in fact, she seems to be in her moment of most clarity in the last half of the movie when she gives in to the color, mm. which could be interpreted as its own kind of madness, but we didn't see any visual representation leading up to it. Man, this might be a reach. It is set up a little bit where she's kind of against like eating the alpaca meat and mm-hmm. her dad's mm-hmm. cooking. And maybe it doesn't have its reach as much as it did with the other character, like her parents and her brothers and what have you. So it's still kind of like not fully enthralled her because she hasn't maybe, I don't know, indulged as much as they have. But I think with her like having to wash the dishes and now it's starting to fuck with her because it's directly tied to all that stuff. But you're right. I mean, it's still, there's weird breaks from all that stuff too, you know? Ben seems 
almost unaffected for the most part. Yeah. Other than the fact that he's noticing things going wrong. Right. And then suddenly he's like, oh, no, I hear Sam in the well. It's like, what the fuck? You just saw what happened to Sam in the barn, bro. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it ain't good. I'm not going down that well. I'm sorry. She was right. I mean, yes, I love all my animals. But man, dude, in that case, sorry. Sorry, Sam. You're fucked. I mean, yeah, I love him to death, but I'm sorry, Tickle. Yeah, if you and that, that shit happens. Yeah, if you in the well, I'm sorry, bro. I'll see you on the flip side. Not happening, bro. <laughs> you gotta ask yourself the same question: Would your animal do the same for you in that circumstance? Fuck no. No, they'll wait till you're dead and then eat your ass. <laughs> but no, I mean, all jokes aside, in that case, you're right. It's very sudden, man. Where they're about to dip out, and then he's like, "No, I'm gonna go to the well," even though we do know that is kind of the source of a lot of that shit. But still, it was really abrupt considering all the other stuff he did in the film leading up to that point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it doesn't seem like he was ever highly affected other than like maybe just wandering off and having time lapses. Yeah. I don't think either of them did a bad job. No, 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 no. no. In fact, it almost bugs me that Jolie Richardson gets second billing because fucking Lavinia is the second billing. Oh, without a doubt, dude. She's, yeah, aside from Nick Cage, she's the second I would highly agree with that, dude. And she holds that up. She does throughout the film. She does a good job. Her just towards the end when they're supposed to be under the spell, it's just too uneven for me. Yeah, and I, I that's don't think point. that was necessarily her. No, I was going to say, too, even during that lightning strike scene, which was really cool, she's kind of like in awe of it, you mm-hmm. know? So she, that was cool. That was yeah. showing that she's getting pulled in by it. And then there was times. Well, you're right. She's by far the most sane later. Without a doubt, when everything's already hit the fan at that point. But when you hear some of the dialogue, it kind of makes you wonder, like, is he trying to connect because of this? But this doesn't make sense because of the actions that are happening. Like, you know, the mom's like, oh, she's a teenager. So you can make that excuse. Oh, she's a teenager. She's going to flip flop anyway. I mean, not to this extent. And Nick Cage flip flops. But his makes sense. Because, I mean, it's more tied to his dad and shit. You see how he's getting more deranged as he's doing the flip-flopping absolutely where he's going okay i have to kill my wife okay i'm not going to kill my wife i'm going to feed my daughter to her but then he's still continuing to get crazier so i'm going to come back and accidentally save the day because that's not my family i've been talking to my family in the front room (laughs) yeah what the fuck that is (laughs) i did like that though at the end too like, he's still flip-flopping, but it's because of his descent into madness. Right, right. And Ward caught a glimpse of it. Yeah. He caught a glimpse of, of his truth. What did you think about that? Oh. I thought it was ballsy to try to show it. I do, too. I like the effect of just hearing the echoes of their voices, mm-hmm. like the conversation without necessarily seeing them. But I, I don't know, man. I don't know. It worked, but it wasn't necessary either, put it that way. I, I kind of like just having the audio more so than the visual in that sense. What did you think of them trying to show, like, the colors dimension? Oh, I thought it was kind of neat. I mean... I guess that's what I thought was ballsy. Like, Yeah, yeah, actually kind of maybe seeing where of, it came from or yeah. what it's... Yeah. Like I said, it makes me wonder, too, how much it was not only trying to appeal to fans of H.P. Mm-hmm. Lovecraft, people who aren't and trying to, you know, because you got to give that them something. That one feels a little bit more like a studio being like, we have to explain this a little bit more. Right, because if you don't, if you have... Which mm, I don't think yeah. SpectraVision was putting that on them. No, I don't either. But that feels like that kind of note. I do too. And like I said, and especially... Because it's one of the scenes where the CG is more noticeable. Yep. And 
some of the stuff in the dialogue is talking about the fact that the color's trying to make this into a place like where it came from. Where yeah. it's from ain't like here. Exactly, dude. And nothing in there looked like what they were changing things into? <laughs> nah. Other than the pulsing color from the top? Yeah. I know what they were trying to do, but... It felt ballsy. I almost would have cut that and just made sure that it was the very first special feature listed on the Blu-ray. Yeah, dude. Here's this cut yeah. scene. You get to see like where the that. color came from. <laughs> yeah. But I think maybe, in this sense, it was probably it was geared toward people who aren't fans necessarily of H.P. Lovecraft or don't have an understanding of the whole mythology behind it. Yeah, and you have to give them something, I guess, in this case. That's kind of like... It's less of a swing, but I'm also kind of iffy on when they showed, like, the color tentacles coming out of the well. I feel like that was a scene where you had to show something, mm -hmm. but it's one of those, like, what are you going to show when it's supposed to be yeah. an indescribable color touching <laughs> things? You know what yeah, I mean? Exactly. I think it's more like it's Lovecraft, so we have to have some tentacles. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. It only makes sense in that respect. I want to go back to one scene in particular. Yeah. I thought it was kind of funny because, you know, every now and then, can't help it. Funny shit just runs through my head all the time. But <laughs> Nick Cage taking the shower mm. and, you know, he goes in the drain. I totally forgot about that scene. I thought he was just going to pull a chunk of hair out. Kind of not the same. And then it was like, <laughs> I was like, oh, shit, that's a scoby. That's like, if you ever drink kombucha, <laughs> that's the mother. <laughs> no, that was kind of funny. That was my little take on it. But once again, it's like it's something pertaining to... Not necessarily the color, but something from out of space. Like, that's alien. The Nick Cage skin stuff mm -hmm. is akin to something described in the short story as, like, the oncoming parts of them getting that illness that eventually turns them gray and shit. Yeah. But I feel like with how little it was done, and this being a Lovecraft, you could also interpret it as some of the oncoming of the Innsmouth look. Mm, cool, yeah, hell yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, given where it's located, this is all H.P. Lovecraft country. Yeah. He's like reverting to his father already in his madness, so reverting to earlier in his line yeah. when they mated with the offspring of Dagon. Yeah, dude. That also awesome. makes sense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, this is That's super Lovecraftian. Cool time that these things back together. Yeah. I think it's supposed to be more of a nod to him getting the illness. I think you're right. But you see so little of it that you could be like, is he getting the intimacy? You know, that's a good point. It makes you wonder, too, if that shit's going to completely envelop or just encase him mm -hmm. at that point, too. But it, you're right. It doesn't. It's just you see little glimpses here and there of it. We maybe should have pointed this out earlier, but I think one of the better things that this movie does, expanding such a short story yeah, dude. is that first third of the movie sets up these characters well enough that they all have, except for maybe Benny, enough of a backstory and enough of a presence and character to them that you're not sure if the movie's going to latch on to any one mm -hmm. of them to sort of be the hero at the end of the day. You know what I mean? Yeah, They're all fleshed out people living these different existences together, which right. is, you know, what families actually do. It's not this all shared existence. You're right, like, you're right. You're like, like, this doesn't have to end all bad. We have all these fleshed out characters that if the story wants to, you can latch onto any one of them and make them the hero and they can come out and still, you know, you're like, oh, cool, like, yeah, way to yeah. go. You triumphed over this or that. Like, good yeah. job, Nick Cage. You didn't give in to being like your dad or... 
good job, Teresa, you beat the cancer and then you beat this color, or, you know, that right, sort of right. thing. Like, good job, Lavinia, kind of triumph. you managed yeah. to triumph out of this and then you can get out of here. All these characters were built up in these ways, but it ends up going <laughs> the way it goes. Yep, nope. <laughs> because of what we said earlier, man, if you're, if you're not familiar, like, once it's in motion, it's done. Like, you're not going to change the events, man. Mm-hmm. It's, it's said and done. They all get axed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's pretty remarkable. Yeah, because you're expecting who's going to come out of this on the other side. Wade Phillips. That's it. Right. Or Ward Phillips. Ward. And it's the least likely of all. I mean, because we do know this story. But if you don't, then it's like, yeah, If you oh, know the fuck. story, he's the most likely because you're like, oh, yeah. oh, he's Amy Pierce mixed with the narrator. Right. Of course he's going to live. And once you figure out who the fucking narrator is in this film in the first place, it's like, oh, yeah, duh. Yeah. <laughs> but if not, it'll be kind of like, oh, what the fuck was that? And I mean, and you doubly have the setting up like maybe him and Lavinia go and start a life together. Oh, shit. They're, they're into each other. Yeah, they're into but each it's, other. It's just that first little meet cute yep. opening bit. That's it. And I do like how it's a callback line or, you know, mm-hmm. where you Nick Cage. My legs. Yeah, you like. <laughs> That's kind of funny. Uh, one scene I knew, man, directly from Mandy mm. was it when he's in the car. And he's raging and all yeah. that shit. I was like, yep, there it is. There it is. <laughs> and it makes sense because, it's, you know, one of the production companies, same one who put out Mandy. So makes sense. Dude, they made that landscape look really pretty look when you got really outside the car. That was cool. It was psychedelic. It was. Fucking cool as shit. This movie's really pretty. It is pretty to look at, without a Stanley doubt. Stanley knows how to shoot a fucking movie. And that's why I was excited, man. I recently watched Dust Devil, and it's visually, it's completely different. I mean, mm-hmm. it's you're not going to get all these psychedelia and what have you, but he does have a really good command of giving you an idea of what the landscape looks like. Because when you watch Dust Devil, you know you're watching a film that's in the desert. It's in a part of Africa that you're unfamiliar with, but you know it makes sense. I mean, it it really drives the plot. You know, so uh, I think it does a good job in this too. So the very end. We already sort of mentioned, like, Ward's back. He's like, I'm still not going to drink the water. He's on top of the fucking dam looking out over the shit. You get the title drop. I think you could think very easily just be like, some movies, especially some old school ones, do a title drop right at the end. Be like, to finish it off, like, and that was Color Out of Space. Right, exactly. Right? You just watched Color Out of Space. (laughs) In this case, I think Stanley sets up and his meaning the actual version of it, what a title drop usually means, which is this is the beginning of the story. Yeah. What we just watched was the prologue because what we now know is that... It's setting things up. There's still something underneath this dam. No doubt. If you're listening to the news reports in the background, some of this... The entire East Coast. The entire East Coast. (laughs) The horror that Stanley is implying at the end of this movie is that this was the setup. Right. This is... The real movie is about to start. It is kind of... Like, this is the foundation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now it's starting to spread. Yeah, dude. I, I like that, that title drop at the end. Because I, I immediately was like, that's not a, mm-hmm. this was the color out of space. Because some of those, there's other movies that do end title drops. And sometimes that's what that means. Exactly. Not in this case. I think you're right. Not in this case. Because we've already said he has plans of wanting to do a trilogy. Has and he said what he wants the third one to be? I know the second <laughs> one's done much horror, but. No, not that I'm familiar with or not that I recall. No, it makes me wonder, maybe like, I don't know, Shadow of Our Innsmouth or something like that. Who knows? Yeah. But I don't know. I don't know definitively. 
Well, we do know the second one, at least mm -hmm. the intention. We've already talked about it. So here's what I was going to ask, knowing this and knowing the some of the slew of films that we've done in this particular mold is if perchance Richard Stanley is not tabbed for the sequel, would you have somebody else in mind? Uh, John. Yeah. Well, given the work too, I was like, Panos Cosmatos wouldn't be a bad choice Panos either. Panos Cosmatos would be a great choice. I think we might have our godfathers of this, <laughs> this genre who can carry the tortures like Stuart Gordon mm -hmm. and what have you. So I think this particular genre of film, like the cosmic horror. The psychedelic cosmic oh, horror. Oh, dude, it is alive and well. Because and it's, it's exciting. On, Mandy is Super psychedelic. Psych Man, dude. Uh, and I think with SpectreVision and XYZ Films and some of these other production companies, they're definitely the ones to carry that torch too. So... Mm -hmm. Of course, it's up to them what they want to do with it. But I think there's a strong market for it, too. There's enough fans of this genre and H.P. Lovecraft given to Lovecraft Country you yeah. know, on HBO. I have seen, I'd say, like three or four episodes, and I do enjoy it. And so there's already an interest in that as well in the mainstream. So yeah, there's a perfect chance to keep running with it. I still haven't finished it. I've heard it doesn't end as strong as it starts, but that doesn't mean it ends badly. Mm-hmm. And that first episode is just Man, yeah. bonkers good. So. Fucking really good. And like I said, the actors, actresses involved and stuff like too, they're engaging, so mm -hmm. it makes you want to watch it regardless. I do need to finish that up. This might actually spur me on to doing that sooner. but Yeah, I was like, man, I think I, my curiosity has peaked again. <laughs> Fuck, this was fun, especially because I actually got to talk about Simon Necronomicon. Yeah, and I know we jumped around a lot in this film, but man, it was fun. It was fun watching it the second time through and you know, because I do like all that psychedelia shit and cosmic horror and all that good stuff. It's like, man, this is not a bad film at all, man. I'm, I've got it in my filmography. I think it it could be a, a good companion piece to a Mandy or a Beyond the Black Rainbow or from Beyond if you want to do more of a, like Lovecraft inspired. So, yeah. There are a few other adaptations of this story. And one of the other ones is more critically lauded than this one, especially as being a Lovecraft adaptation. But being a giant Lovecraft fan, if you're out there and you're curious and you haven't hit it up yet because it hasn't been getting as good of word of mouth as I think was intended, watch it. I think it does some things in this genre that are amazing. Awesome. Hell yeah. Like I said, some parts. Right. Some parts a little off kilter, but. It's okay. Hey, once again, Stanley was out of it for what, 24 years? <laughs> yeah. I mean, almost a quarter of a century, so yeah. If you're coming back with this, damn. Yeah, I'm like, whoa, damn. I'm highly impressed. Cool. Yeah, dude, given given his yeah, filmography too, so yeah, dude. Yeah, I hope he keeps getting work, whether it's in this particular realm or not. It's still fun to have him back on board. Dunwich Horror, not one of my favorite. I'm curious to see what he does with that. Yeah. I might have to reread it, though, too. It's been a little bit on that one, because it wasn't initially one of my favorites. Not something I reread a little bit more often, like Shadow Over Innsmouth or something. So Yeah, cool, dude. I might have to do that now, too. We don't have next week planned, do we? We don't. We're going to figure that out, as long as you don't have anything more to say on this, do you? No, 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 dude. Um, Outside of that, like I said, just check it out if you're a fan. Yeah. So in order to listen to whatever we choose next week, which will hopefully be something real cool, yeah. please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. Also, if you could rate and review however you're listening to us right now, that'd be super cool because the whole world is ran on algorithms. We want to be up in them. 
you can contact us squirmcast at gmail.com or by going to our website www.friedsquirms.com contact us through there check out our entire back catalog there also while you're there click the links up at the top as we are part of the earworm podcast network listen to other shows over on the network listen to me talk about nerdy shit over on general nerdery listen to the boys of the art of war gaming talk about modern day war gaming mixed with historical war treatises so things like the art of war mixed with 40k and other shows to come hopefully very soon but covid's been making things weird around here lately she's been a bitch shit surgeon around here so things are weird deadlines are all over the place but they're coming out they're coming up soon find us fried squirms across all the social medias will be what pops up what else no we do like your suggestions and recommendations and once again too if you're in the independent film scene if you've got a film need some eyeballs let us know that's right and for this week i'm tyler i'm danny fried squirms out, out.